while it is true that Bilbo never would have left on a journey for the Lonely Mountain if it had not been for Gandalf and the dwarves, he also, having determined to make that journey, he never would have made it without the help of Gandalf or the dwarves. He didn't know the way, he didn't know the dangers that he would face, and he certainly was not equipped uh, to face those dangers on his own in J.R.R. Tolkien's The The Hobbit, if you don't know what I'm talking about, not the atrocious movies, the the book. Uh, There were dangers that he would have needed to avoid that he was not equipped to avoid on his own, and there were uh, virtues that needed to be pursued, certain uh, certain milestones along the path that he needed to follow, uh, and that he was just ill-equipped to walk on his own. As followers of Christ, for us, there are dangers that we need to avoid. Uh, there are virtues that we need to pursue, and those things go hand in hand with each other. Uh, every time we read a negative, thou shalt not, uh, it is paired with a positive, thou shalt, really. We can look at each of the commands of the Lord and see a negative side of it and a positive side of it. Paul, in his writings, uses put off and put on language, like in Ephesians and in Colossians, to describe the same thing. Don't hate, do love. So it's not just creating a vacuum, right? Don't uh, steal, do be generous. See the opposite of that, right? Don't lie, do tell the truth. Don't replace lying with silence. Replace it with truth speaking. Uh, Don't lust, do be faithful and pure, and so on. And there are two sister texts in the book of Hebrews that point us to this as well. In the first text, we read about dangers to avoid. That's Hebrews chapter 3. If you want to turn there to Hebrews 3, Hebrews 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, if, if you're waiting for how this connects to Genesis, certainly built on there, but we're not in Genesis this morning. So uh, there isn't a direct connection to it other than all of God's word stands together. Uh, this is what right in the middle of Hebrews chapter 3, the author says to us, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we read right there at the end that we can be deceived by sin. And over time, this deception produces a hardening of our hearts. And then a hard heart eventually shrivels into an evil, unbelieving heart, which leads us to fall away from the living God, rejecting the good news of forgiveness of sins that are found in Jesus Christ. And we must avoid these dangers. In the second text, we read of virtues to pursue. There are dangers to avoid. There are virtues to pursue. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25 Uh, Again, jumping right into the middle of it, uh, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And as you can see behind me, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we read here that we must draw near to pursue assurance with hearts cleansed by Christ. We must pursue this endurance in the holding fast to our confession that Christ is our Lord. And our faith must be evident in our love and in our good works. So there are dangers to avoid. That, a path that we could follow in a deceitfulness of sin, a hardening of hearts, of unbelief, leading to falling away. But there are for lack of a better description, but virtues to pursue. The opposite of this, like looking to Christ, considering him, holding fast to him, and then being stirred up in these love and good works. And this is all well and good. Uh, We've heard sermons like this. I've preached sermons like this, pointing these things out. But I have two problems. And the first is a problem with the English language. Uh, I've got an issue with what we all speak. Uh, If I'm talking to one person, I say, you. And if I'm talking to a group of people, I still only can say you, unless you're from south of the Mason-Dixon line, where we can be specific. And we can say, one of you already offered it, we can say y'all. 
right? This is a problem if we can't use y'all like we're told we're not supposed to because when we read in God's word, specifically throughout the book of Hebrews, we don't immediately see that every instance of you in these texts is plural. It isn't you, Juliet, or you, Elijah, it's y'all. And I think that's significant. It's not talking to individuals, it's talking to a group. And that's a problem for us to not just see that right away as we read God's word, because there's also a problem with our ears and with our hearts and with our minds, not just with the writing, but how we process it. And when we hear you, we think of ourselves individually. When I read this, I'm like, oh yeah, I, not we. That just becomes our default. To think of myself as one person and have to work hard, I have to work hard to think of me, not as me, but in terms of us. To think of this as, think of myself as part of a group. So when I read Hebrews 3, I, I automatically think of dangers that I must avoid. And when I read Hebrews 10, I automatically think of virtues that I must pursue, but that isn't what the text says. It speaks of dangers that we must avoid. And it speaks of virtues that we must pursue, right? Bilbo would not have made the journey to the Lonely Mountain by himself. And if he hadn't been there, the dwarves wouldn't have succeeded either. They all needed each other. And in the same way, it's not just about me being able to face, uh, being aware of and being able to face the dangers that I face, right? To, To be able to deal with those things and to know the path that I need to walk on. But what about the dangers that we need to avoid? And what about the virtues, or however you want to say it, that that we must pursue? Because following Christ is a community journey. Following Christ is a community journey. That's the truth I want to remind us about today. Following Christ is a community journey. A few things to, to look through as we uh, understand this. First, I don't want to spend a lot of, I do want to spend a lot of time on it, but I'm going to try to not spend a lot of time on it. Just a definition of a Christian community. Like, what are we talking about? If, if, uh, if following Christ is a community journey, what, what is a Christian community? Well, I mean, we see throughout the New Testament specifically, but we could go beyond that, uh, that it's a specific, a Christian community is a specific and known group of believers in Christ. So we read in the New Testament of those who are among us, those who are part of us. So they they were known who they were with and who they were worshiping with. Uh, These people, these believers would have lived in proximity to each other. So you have a church in in Rome, you have a church in Corinth, in Galatia, in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Colossae, and in Laodicea. In all these different places, there were these believers who lived in proximity with each other. Yes, there were connections with between these different communities, but it was much different than we can stay connected with people and communities that are far from us. So they had a proximity to each other. Uh, There were specific known uh, leaders over these communities called elders or overseers or pastors. There were deacons serving these particular bodies. These believers and this Christian community gathered together regularly. I think we can make a case for weekly gatherings in the New Testament to worship God in the name of Jesus. And when they gather, which is what the word means, the word church, you could translate as assembly or as gathering. So that's why we don't just call it a service. Uh, We call this, this, this is our gathering because we have, we, the church, have gathered which is redundant. We, the church, are churching, right? We, the gathered ones, are gathering. So songs are sung, prayers are offered, the word is read and preached. We could walk through texts in the New Testament that point us to these things. And again, that word for these gatherings of people for those things are taking place, these assemblies is what we see translated as church. And this is one of my concerns, especially as we just move forward into the new year, right? Whatever resolutions you may or may not make, uh, for the stroke of midnight. I, I plan to make none. Person, that's my resolution. Don't make any resolutions. We'll see if I break it. That's, that, that would be interesting. This is my concern for myself and for, for us. My concern is that we, sometimes we could exclude our Sunday church gatherings from our definition of Christian community. 
And the other side of my concern is that we might restrict our definition of Christian community just to our Sunday morning church gatherings. Do you see the different sides of that? Right? Like as if this has nothing to do with Christian community or this, has, this is everything offered in Christian community. Not these people, but this time in this place. Just take a minute to think about that. As it relates to your thinking about Christian community, are you more tempted to exclude the Sunday service or gathering, to exclude that from your definition, or are you more tempted to restrict these couple hours, restrict this as your only definition of Christian community? If you've been at Risen King Church for any length of time, I just wonder, I don't have to say it out loud, which direction do you think that we collectively lean toward? Excluding the gathering from our definition of Christian community or restricting our definition to just the gathering? I wonder which way we lean toward in error. If we pursue only one of these while excluding the others, we cannot obey all of the commands that God gives us in his word. We cannot. Not it'll be harder. Not not it would be better if we did otherwise. It is not possible to obey the commands of Christ for his church if we lean, if we exclude or restrict in that way. It's just not possible. Obedience requires a full definition of what following Christ means in Christian community. We can't fulfill all the responsibilities Christ has called his people to. We can't enjoy all of the gracious blessings that God has for us unless we are part of a Christian community that gathers but doesn't just gather, if, if, as in this gathering. We have to have this, but we can't only have this. That's what I'm trying to say. Following Christ is a community journey. What are these responsibilities? What are the responsibilities that we have as a Christian community? Well, these two texts that I've read to you uh, will instruct us about these things. Hebrews chapter 3, first of all. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an unbelieving heart. This is the first of the responsibilities that we have, that we need to look out for one another's dangers. That's very different than just looking out for my own dangers. Not just what am I facing, but I need to be aware and looking out for what dangers you are facing. This is the responsibility that a Christian community has, to look out for one another's dangers, to watch for the dangers that other believers need to avoid. You as a Christian individually, we as Christians corporately, we have a responsibility from God to pay careful attention to one another so that no one else is deceived by sin so that no one else is hardened into unbelief, that no one else is led to fall away from the living God. This is the responsibility, not just that I bear, that we bear for one another. Now, can that careful investigating, fulfilling this text, can that happen only in the context of a Sunday morning worship gathering? It cannot. If you just come and sit and stand next to someone else and sing and listen, you cannot be taking care to look out for them and the dangers that they are facing. That's not what happens in just proximity. And the text doesn't allow it also. Look again at verse 13. Are you, are you there? Hebrews 3, 13. Exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, like this, this perpetual present tense. What are we supposed to do for one another? We are supposed to exhort one another. And this can mean to urge strongly and appeal to, and it can also mean request and implore and entreat. Uh, and it can also mean to encourage and cheer and comfort. And we really need all three of those, right? That's a spectrum of exhortation or encouragement. And when are we supposed to do that? Is it just weekly? Is that what the text says? Every day. As long as it is called today. So we have the responsibility, we have the responsibility from Christ for daily exhortation of one another so that no deceitfulness of sin may harden any of our brothers' or sisters' hearts. And while the gathering is important, it doesn't happen every day. 
I'm glad I don't have to study and preach an hour sermon every, every day of the week. You're glad that you don't have to hear an hour sermon every day of the week. So something more is needed than these weekly gatherings, as important as they are. Something more is needed. The responsibilities of a Christian community require more of us than just a weekly gathering. Hebrews 10 gives us the other side of that. Hebrews 10 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So here, we are not just to uh, right, avoid, or how did, I, how did I say it, to look out for one another's dangers, but we are to give thought to one another's virtues. We are to spur each other on in our love for God and others. We are to motivate or rouse one another in good works. And the word stir up here, very interesting. It can also mean uh, and, or describe a state of irritation or sharp disagreement. When, when Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul separated, uh, there was a this word between them. It's interesting how words can kind of mean something very different, isn't it? But combining these two meanings of a, a state of irritation with a rousing to something positive makes me think of kind of persistently provoking someone toward a good end. Hey, Robbie, Robbie, hey, hey, Robbie, Robbie, poke, 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 hey, Robbie, love Jesus with all your heart. Laura Beth, hey, like a sister, right? Both of my sisters are here, and they know how annoying I can be on those type of things. Like, I was thinking about how you could show motherly grace to your kids, right? Randy, I was thinking about how you could continue to encourage and, and witness to the people at the hospital that you're you're talking to, right? And Fred, how, how you can continue to love your wife. And Laura Allen, how you can continue to, to in, encourage the children in the word. I was thinking about that. I just wanted to poke, 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 right? Sister, are you provoked, roused? I'm thankful for it, right? Those type of things. But don't miss that. That's not just like, oh, hey, boom, right? Even in these type of things, like I decided I was going to pick on Robbie about that type of thing, like, because I knew that he's a friend of mine. He, he, well, at least he's not going to say anything about it. But prior careful thought has to go into those conversations. Like, I, I, it's not really going to be helpful to be like, hey, Robbie, just love Jesus. And then I move on and think that I've, I've done this. It's not what the text says. Right? Giving careful thought, consider how to stir up Robbie to love. Consider how to stir up Laura Beth to good works. Consider how to stir up Randy or Fred or Laura Ellen. Give careful thought to those conversations. It's not just the first thing that comes into my mind. It's just automatically a wise answer to give to a brother or sister that needs this type of stirring. So, and it's not just thoughtful, right? Like, what should that mean? That's a preparation of prayer. I'm going to be, if I'm going to consider how to rouse and stir, <laughs> irritate Robbie to love and good works, maybe that's too far. But if I'm going to consider that carefully, I need to be considering that prayerfully. Prayerful about where love and good works needs to be stirred up in one another. And then we speak that when we meet together and we encourage one another in these things. This is one of the reasons why I said these are sister texts, because exhort in Hebrews 3 is encourage in Hebrews 10. It shares the same words, it's driving at the same end. Even if one is talking about dangers that we must avoid and the other is giving thought to one another's virtues. We have the responsibility from Christ for giving careful consideration to how our brothers and sisters need to grow in faithful love for God and evident love for others. And generic advice can only get us so far. This is the responsibility borne by members of a Christian community. And we fulfill those responsibilities today, this day, every day, with our eyes fixed on the day. I remember Jason McClanahan often saying, it's only two days that matter, probably not original to him, maybe it was. I just know that no quote of mine is ever, <laughs> ever really original, other than the, the weird stuff. Uh, it's the two days that matter. Does anybody else remember Jason saying this? Today and that day. This day and that day. And that's another aspect that these verses share. We are encouraging one another every day, as long as it's called today. Well, what if I didn't yesterday? 
Gone. You have today. I'll do it tomorrow. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it today. Why? Because like Hebrews 10 says, we, we build up in that encouragement. It ramps up as we see the day approaching. The ESV capitalizes it. I love that. It's not just kind of like, oh, like, like, a, like a holiday? Because like, like Easter's around the corner in a few months? Or do we look forward to next Christmas or an anniversary? No. There's only one day, the day of the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we will stand before him and see him Worship him together forever. With that day in mind, we're like, hey, Isaiah, you need, have, you need to avoid these dangers, brother. Like, I need to think about that and stir him up to love and good works. Because someday we're going to stand before Christ together. That day is approaching rapidly. And we are nothing and we have nothing without the grace of God. That's not news to us, is it? And while God's grace is never limited in when and where and how it comes to us, because God is not limited. His word teaches us that his grace to us in Christ is certainly found in the Christian community, in his church, his church, his churches. Those communities that that Christ has provided for us and that Christ has called us to be a part of. His grace to his people is found in his people as we come together. Well, sometimes God's grace comes to us directly, right? God, write to you, Jason. Yeah, that's good, right? God, write to Pam. But most often, I think, at least many times, I think most often, God's grace comes to us through God's people. Mediated. Not his saving grace as if, right, I need Brett in order to be saved. That's not what I'm talking about. But God's grace is more than just saving grace. And if we are always in need of that grace, then God's grace comes to me through Brett as my brother in Christ. God's grace comes to his people through his people. You to me and me to you. And it's not just one type of grace. The Bible talks about a, a grace in its various forms or, or almost like a multicolored grace, a, a varied grace, I think is how it, it words it. And what are these graces that we benefit from as a Christian community? That's the next point, the graces of or in a Christian community. First, there's the, the grace of relationship. In, in Christian community that Christ has provided for us and called us to, the, this, this body that we bear responsibility to look out for the dangers of others and to, to, to stir them up to love and good works. As we live in that, the grace of relationship, that when we live in Christian community, you are known by other Christians. And when we understand what that definition is, like, we're probably kind of wanting to back off from it. Like, that's exactly why I like to just come to the gathering and then leave. I don't really want to be known like that. I want some of me to be known. But the grace of relationship is being known what your gifts are and what your needs are and what your hurts are and what your sins are and what your joys are and what your sorrows are. For, for Leanne and I, there's just no question that the hardest times in our lives have all been shared by brothers and sisters living alongside us in this church family. The grace of relationship. That we could say, I don't know how I would have gotten through this without families that I could name and individuals. We're just kind of like, well, grace, God's grace is sufficient for his people as it comes to us through his people. If you're like, well, where is that in the Bible? Well, 2 Corinthians 1. God of comfort comforts us so that we have comfort to give to others. Well, how did his comfort come to us? Because that verse didn't start with us. So God has comforted others from others who comfort others. And the comfort of God just continues to flow to his people through his people and just cycles. And there's more than that. The grace of relationship being known and bearing one another's burdens in these type of things. And there's the grace of accountability found in Christian community as well, that, that you are looked out for. 
Not just kind of like, are you here at the gathering and somebody's just checking the list. That's not, not just looking for, but looking out for Jeff. That he can't see the dangers that are behind him. That he has a limited field of vision. But if we're all surrounding him, then we can be aware of the dangers that this brother is facing. And we could be like, Jeff, there's something behind you. Like, oh, what? No, there isn't. Like, David's not going to do anything to you. <laughs> the Spencers are there. It's just wonderful brothers. And he's, he's looking out for you. That's funny. I, I forgot about this story. There was a, at our church in Michigan, there was a balcony. We often stood on the balcony, like front row of that with some really good friends of ours um, and a World War II vet who had been at the church for 100,000 years, was like sitting down somewhere else. And I was just standing and worshiping, just had my hands in my pocket, standing next to one of my best friends named, named Jonathan. Uh, and then this, this other brother confronted me after the gathering. And he's just kind of like, I saw you were standing there with your hands in your pockets. Like, yeah. It's like, how are you going to protect yourself uh, if your hands are in your pockets? I was like, well, I was standing in my church at a balcony next to my best friend and my wife. I really didn't think I was in danger for that. So I didn't think I needed to really be looking, because other people would have been looking out for me. I'd... So you can have your hands in. David Spencer's not going to attack you, Jeff. He's, he's got your back in a good way. But you, in the, the grace of accountability that you're being looked out for when you are deceived by sin, not if you're deceived by sin, when you are deceived by sin, when your love needs to be stirred up, when your good works need to be motivated, when you need to be roused for whatever reason. Even just recently, I shared our Tuesday morning uh, men's small group about my struggle to parent my kids well, just frustrations and kind of perpetual uh, complaining, to be honest. And then on that Saturday evening, so Tuesday morning, maybe many Tuesday mornings, Saturday evening, Randy texts me, and he said this, continuing to pray for grace and wisdom in your house. That must have been really hard to type, right, Randy? I mean, whew, difficult one, right? But the Lord used that reminder when I was yet again in a mindset of complaining and discouragement to stir me up to being active that evening instead with Leanne and with the kids. And we had a wonderful time. And I thank the Lord for texting, even though it's like, oh, bottom of the barrel communication, okay. But the Lord can use the bottom of the barrel communication. Use my brother. He didn't need to wait for Saturday morning. If he had waited for Sunday morning, if he had waited the next day and said that to me, a missed opportunity. So the Lord used that to stir me up to love and good works because we are in community together. The grace of accountability that you are being looked out for by others. There's the grace of messengers as well. This is what I mean by that. I'd heard good things about the book Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Anybody? Life Together by Bonhoeffer. At least heard of it. Anybody read it? Hands? Yes? I'd heard really good things about it this past fall. I started reading it a little bit at a time. Um, a lot of new thoughts. I can only make it two pages, and so I'm like, wow, I need to like, think about this. <laughs> That's new. And that happened to me, uh, I think, back in October. But I was reading it and struck by something that I, I'm not sure I had considered so clearly before. This is what he wrote. He said, God has put his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of man. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. Now, I've, I've read and studied the Bible a lot. Many of the books in detail, some in their original languages. Uh, I've read tons of other books about the Bible and have many more in my shelves that I haven't read and probably never will. Uh, I've preached a few hundred sermons and so on, but I'll never be able to escape the fact that I am a finite man considering an infinite book revealed by an infinite God. I will never be able to escape that fact. So it's like this. Leanne got me a metal detector for Christmas, which is just super cool. Right so far, I found three cents, a missing key, a matchbox car, and a pile of garbage all in my backyard. So three cents. It's already starting to pay for itself. <laughs> Imagine that I took a walking tour of the Atlantic coastline in the United States, 14 states from Maine to Florida. Imagine I did a walking tour. It would take forever. Uh, Leanne would not let me do that. 
none of you would let me do that. That's good. Uh, but I did. What, imagine I did that, walking toward the Atlantic coastline with my new metal detector. It would take me a long time. Uh, I would find some really cool stuff and a lot of trash. But no matter how much time I take or how thoroughly I search, I can never dig through it all. Not that it would take me a long time. I could never dig through it all. And in God's providence, it almost seems just as likely that Maria could stop and build a sandcastle and find a diamond ring with her fingers and a little plastic shovel as I could find with fancy tools. If the treasure is there to be found, it's inexhaustible. We're not capable of finding all of it, and we're not supposed to. Because when it comes to God's word, there are always more questions to ask. There are always more uh, answers or more truth to be found. Always more truth to be found. Like next year, we could start Genesis at the beginning and preach completely new and different sermons. Or if we had other people come in, they would preach new and completely different sermons about that. Not, not as if there's, there's, I'm not talking even just about different interpretations. It's, it's not just the content we can find different. I'm saying there's more than content because there's always more applications to be gleaned. And I believe that God has given us one another to meet that very need, that all we can do, just like we can't see the dangers and we can't always see where we need to be stirred up, we can't always see everything about God's word. We have this type of view even when we go after God's word. And so the perspectives of other believers looking at the same word instructs us. It's the grace of messengers. So we have each other to help us better understand and apply his word. And God has not just given us the so-called experts, whatever that might mean. The experts can teach us content, but unless they're walking alongside of us, taking care that we not be deceived by sin, and specifically knowing in our lives where we need to be stirred up to love and good works, an expert, no matter how good the book is, can never apply that specifically to Jackson's life. Right? No, No author from any century in any language, YouTube podcasts, right? As good as John MacArthur is, right? However many miles away that is, like he can't speak with specific application to Noah's life because he doesn't know you. That doesn't mean don't listen to it. It's just that's not enough. We need people who know us. And if I'm reading through the Bible, I'm in one place. Who am I going to pick on now? You're all like, why are we here? Ken is reading through the Bible at a different pace, Right? Even this morning as we're praying about the gathering, like my mind is on one text because I read in John 10, and I don't even remember what the passage was. He quotes a different passage. It's like, yes, that's the truth that I needed because he's looking at something else. So all of these different perspectives that are come instruct us in the word better. And I've seen fruit of that in talking to you for our very sermons. Uh, Lois Thompson just made an offhand comment about a passage that she had just looked at. And it was just like, it changed the course of where, how I looked at the passage and how we preached the sermon. It was uh, Genesis 13, I think. She made a connection. She just spoke about Abraham and Lot and the conflict that they were going to have. And she said, oh yeah, you know, I was thinking, blessed are the peacemakers. And all of a sudden I looked at him like, of course, This is how I need to see this text, right? The Lord uses his people in the lives of his people as messengers of his word. Because every ordinary believer who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit and every ordinary believer is indwelled by the Holy Spirit has been taught the word by him and can and must share that word with others. You can and must be a teacher of God's word and not just one who stands here or stands at some other uh, pulpit or or, uh, music stand or whatever else in a classroom. It's instructing one another as the word of Christ dwells richly in us. That the Lord would use you, whatever you've been reading and thinking about, to answer a prayer and point out a truth that someone else needs. That's the grace of messengers in a Christian community. And again, I'm not just talking about learning Bible content. I'm talking about Bible applicability. How does it apply to a specific situation? Submission to Bible truth in various circumstances. It's like I'm struggling with something and then Jake uses something that he read to correct my thinking to point me back to Christ. Robbie and Samiko and I were studying Mark last year with the students during our student service. 
And so we would divide up into the middle school and the high school groups. We would ask them questions. You know, what, what sticks out to you? What, what do you find hard to understand? How does this, what does this teach you about Christ? How does this apply to your life? And then we would come back together so that the middle schoolers could teach the high schoolers, the high schoolers could teach the middle schoolers, and God could use his spirit and all of them to teach us. And it was a wonderful time together. We learn better in community. And so following Christ is a community journey, the grace of messengers. And there's the grace of prayer. Paul admits we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And he says he's given, God's given us his spirit to help us in those things. But God has also given us his people to help us in those things. Have you ever struggled to pray for yourself about something? Maybe you've prayed about a scenario, but you, you continue praying for one specific kind of answer. Like, this is the answer. Just keep praying for that, praying for that, praying for that. Okay, good. Persistence in prayer. I'm not, not saying that, that that's wrong. Like, what if I was just butting heads with really hard with one of my girls and earnestly praying that God would soften her heart and humble her? Uh, and then I tell Jeff about it. And then it's Jeff's like, hey, can I pray for you? Like, yeah. And then Jeff prays, oh, God. Would you remind Peter of your mercy toward him? Would you help him to see his stubbornness? I was like, bro, what? That's not what I asked you to pray for. Like, yeah, I know. Would you convict Peter of his stubbornness? Would you help Peter to see her perspective? Like, what? And the Spirit's like, exactly. Like, oh, that's right. Grace in prayer. What a grace there is to be prayed for. Just like with Bible study, I believe the Holy Spirit uses other believers to pray for us when we don't know what to pray for ourselves, when we can't pray for ourselves. We struggle to put it into words. So do we believe that God hears and answers prayer? And of course, we say, yes. Are we convinced that apart from Christ, we can do nothing? And of course, we say, yes. But do our prayers for one another reflect our beliefs in that? I know that the answer from my heart has to be an honest no, not often enough. And if we're not living in community, how will we even know what to pray for? <laughs> Someone comes to mind, God bless them. God bless them. Has any, you know, two prayers offered in American churches more than anything else? Thank you for this day and bless, fill in the blank, right? But isn't it wonderful to know specifically what someone's facing? It's like, oh, they have this appointment this day. I'm going to pray for that. They're having this difficulty. I'm going to pray about that. They asked me to, and I remember. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to ask them about it. Isn't that so much better? To not just be like, hey, how was your day? But it's just kind of like, you know, I remember you faced this this week. How did that go? I prayed for that. Praying for others by, by praying for others, by praying with others, by being prayed for by others, we all walk closer with Christ together. That's the grace of prayer as well. And I walk with you with Christ. It's a journey. Following Christ is a community journey. And there's, so the, there's not just this, and this is one that's been kind of stirring in my, uh, my mind and my heart, trying to figure out how do, we, how do we get this as part of our church. And I don't know how to put this. Maybe this sounds weird, but... Uh, just the grace of stories. Let me explain what I mean. God is at work in our body. Amen? Is that controversial? Well, of course God's at work in our body. He must be, because he has promised to be at work in our body. But do you know, and, and do I know where God is at work in our body? And if we only come and sit and leave, we may be confident that he's at work in our body, but we aren't aware of where or how or when he is at work in our body. How can we be aware of those things unless we ask and unless we listen, unless we're looking out for one another and considering how to stir up one another to love and good works and then seeing each other grow in faith and see each other stirred up in love and good works as we've sought to stir up. So it's not just... You know, it's like a drop-in stir-up, and then you never know. Like, how much better? Be like, no, Timothy, be stirred up. And then I live alongside Timothy, and I'm like, oh, I see. I see him being stirred up. Praise God. Timothy's been stirred up for love and good works and these type of things. 
I saw, well, I'll use myself, right? So, uh, Cain, Cain watches me. And Cain's like, I think Peter's being deceived by sin. Just in conversations, I've seen these pieces. And so he warns me. And then he's kind of like, then, it, he, then we, I repent together with him. Right? We, we pray about that. I confess, like, you know, I, I was kind of ticked off when you said that, but thank you. Right? And here's, here's how I confess that. And here's what the Lord did from that. Now all of a sudden, right, Cain is more convinced than he was before because he's seen or heard the story of how God worked in my life. And he was a part of it by God's grace. And this provides encouragement for us in our trials. We remember that God is at work even while we're waiting because sometimes you might be at the end of a story and really encouraged. And sometimes you might be at the beginning of a story. You don't know how long it's going to go. You might be right in the middle of it. It seems like everything's bad. And as you know other people's stories, you can be reminded, oh, God's at work in that. And they can remind you of stories in your life that you shared. Be like, oh, right, yeah, that was God. Okay. Right? The grace of, of stories in that is we're aware of like, listen, look, just all of these different things popped up and it's not just the happy stuff. Like we grow in the trials, not in the, we count it joy when we have trial, right? Not count it joy when you have joy. Following Christ is a community journey. And there's the graces found in that, from God to us, through us. And then finally, there's an expression. Not the expression, an expression of Christian community. See, many of you, I know, uh, already have relationships like this among our body. And I praise the Lord for that. That's wonderful. Uh, but of course we need to continue growing in this area. Right? Like, have... Like, oh, no, we, we're good. There's no one else I need to look out for their dangers. There's, there's no one else that I need to uh, consider the virtues they have. The journey is done, right? Feel your pulse. I don't see Jesus right now, so your journey's not done. We're, we've got longer to walk together. That day, capital D, it's not here yet. Maybe today, but not right now, at least not yet. We need to deepen our current relationships so that we're not just talking about the, the other things that connect us. It's fine to be connected by other things, but one of the other things that Bonhoeffer makes a big deal about is that um, the unity found in Christian community can actually be hindered when we have shared interests because the, the heart of Christian community, the unity in that is, is Christ and only Christ. And so if we just get along as friends, that could actually, we, we could be distracted from the heart of Christian community. I thought that was another one like, I got to chew on that for a little bit. That's interesting. It's like, we should be here because of Jesus. And we should look out for one another and fulfill our responsibilities because of Christ. And we should receive those graces because of Christ. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, commandments, obedience, love one another. If you love me, love one another. Christ is at the center of that. So we need to deepen our current relationships to make them not just community, but Christian community, part of this Christian community. And we need to develop new relationships. We need to do that in this church, in our family, in our body still being built and shaped by the head. We need to be deepening and developing relationships in this, which is to be our primary Christian community. I believe that that's the commitment that with the covenant that we've made together is that the believers in this circle right now that are, that are here, when we've stood and covenanted together, that we said, this is our primary Christian community. This is where I will fulfill my responsibilities. And this is where the grace of God can be most expected to flow into my life. Here, as fellow members of Risen King Church, and that's not exclusionary to those of you who are not members, right? Because God's grace just continues to flow. This, is that our thinking? That we know the people that we are supposed to be taking care or looking out for lest there be any unbelieving heart. I can't just like drive up to some random church and be like, oh, I considered how to stir you up to love and good works. But I could do that for Angela, Right? do that for Matt if we're living in community together. 
And this is the reason, honestly, why we are working to revamp our care groups for this next year. I think that's what this is. This is the goal for the monthly care group meetings that you've signed up for. That we would, we would know more of Christian community than just coming here to our gathering. And we would have, we would, we would strive for seeing those responsibilities fulfilled. Strive for seeing those graces and benefits enjoyed. Enjoyed. So when we gather at those times, come together in these, these smaller groups and whatever evening that you've signed up for, we'll devote ourselves to fellowship. That's just in the nature of the fact that we're together, right? It's not just like everybody sending your prayer requests. We'll send it out as a letter and right, I'll do it. No, come together. I, I don't want to just read your prayer request. I want to hear your prayer request. We'll come together for fellowship. We'll devote ourselves to prayer in those type of things. Like that's really the center of it. We, we also want to study God's word together. We want to have that grace as messengers, but when we come for that time, for those 90 minutes, 90 minutes, that's up to your group leader how well that goes. But as you come together for that time, like the focus isn't an hour and 15 minutes on talking about the sermon and then it's kind of like, uh, can you close us in prayer real quick? Like as leaders, like we're going to be working hard against that. Flipping it on its head. I think Fred was talking about the fact it's like, no, we're going to push study to the end so that we can have the conversations and the sharing and the prayer together. The, any discussion of the word would be seen in the context of the needs that we have and in the joys and in the rejoicing. So that when we talk about the word, it's just kind of like, oh, I see how this is important. Right? Like I, I recognized this and it's like, oh, and that's how this sermon applied to you on those type of things. So it's centrality of being willing to open up about what our joys and our needs and our weaknesses and our sins and our cares are and then like, be enveloped in the prayers of God's people for those type of things. There and out from there. Because as I, I'm, I'm confident that as we hear from one another at those monthly meetings, that they will result in follow-up conversations throughout the month, sharing updates to prayer requests and answers. If you bring a request right at that meeting, it's not like you're going to wait a month to tell everybody about it. You hear a good answer, right? This is going to be like, it's going to happen here, or it's going to happen over text, or it's going to happen over base camp. And so many of those things are already happening. Again, I'm not just being like, hey, this has never happened before. Like we're the first church to figure it out, and none of you are doing it. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all, but it's just kind of like, great, what's happening in all these different things? Like, let's make sure it's, it's happening for all of us, that no one is left out of those type of things, that we're all open to that. And I eagerly hope that we quickly find those monthly meetings to be entirely insufficient so that we will long for more. They just be like, you know, it's just, I don't want to wait a month. That's just what I, I hope. I hope the Lord does that in us. Just be like, that is a monthly thing. This isn't working for me. Well, we went from <laughs> yearly to monthly. That's a great increase. And we'll see what the Lord does. But as we see, as we, we live out the responsibilities and they're met to us and we experience those graces, that we become hungry for more of what the Lord has for us in these type of things. That's my hope. See, following Christ is a community journey and I want to grow in how we walk that journey together for, for my good. And I want to grow in that for your good. And I want to grow in that for the glory of Jesus, our, our head and our shepherd who leads us. I want to follow him in this. He's at the head of this journey. This idea fills the New Testament, brothers and sisters, so in closing, please just listen as I read a few texts where the scriptures teach us about the responsibilities and the graces of living together in Christian community. Romans chapter 12 is the first. It says this, Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 
If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Jude picks up the same thing here, these responsibilities and graces of Christian community written by Jude. But you, beloved ones, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. 1 Thessalonians 5, be at peace among yourselves and we urge you, brothers and sisters, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. Not just don't repay anyone evil for evil. See that no one else repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Finally, James chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And he concludes his letter this way. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. May the Lord do this, all of this, and so much more here in our Christian community, in our church, for his glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you came and you lived and you died and you rose to bring your sheep into your fold so that there would be one flock and one shepherd. Please give us a a, a taste, a thirst, a hunger for um, what fellowship and and community means as brothers and sisters, members of a a body, uh, siblings in a family with God as our father, Christ as our older brother as, as the texts talk about it. Thank you for the work that you are already doing toward this end, and may it be, uh, we long for more, may we pray for more, may we live for more, that you would be glorified here uh, in this, this group, this church, as we long to see you and to live together forever. Amen.